Chapter Five of the Half Breed: A Tale of the Western Frontier, by Walt Whitman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Chuck Williamson. Chapter Five. Just out from the village, when the hunting party started that morning, they had been joined by Arrowtip's brother, the deer. He, accompanied by a favorite dog, was watching the evolutions of a large bird that lazily skimmed near the surface of a cascade nearby, a charming spot that, were it in the neighborhood of our eastern cities, would be visited by thousands for its beauty. "'Call the dog from me, brother,' said the deer. "'He frightens the bird.' Arrowtip did as he was desired. The party had passed on, bidding the two Indians to follow. And the chief sat himself down a moment at the foot of a large tree, and waited till the successful aim of the deer should bring the bird to the ground. One hand grasped his hunting bow, and with the other he caressed the dog. The plot of the narrative makes it preferable not to detail minutely here all the events that took place during the day. One of those events, a startling and bloody one, has already been intimated to the reader at the conclusion of the last chapter. Soon after, Arrowtip and the deer came up with the rest of the party, whom they found proceeding onward with light and buoyant steps. They all arrived at the destined point of their enterprise. It is unusual, in such cases, for a band to be subdivided into smaller groups, each having its section or lookout spot. The animals to be hunted are thus encompassed and met at every turn, and seldom fail of becoming, sooner or later, a prey to the sportsman. I think, said Mr. Thorne, it will be best for Quincy to come with my party. Arrowtip, suppose you and Peter Brown take the bend at Oak Creek for your station. That will suit me, answered the blacksmith. Arrowtip also expressed his consent to the arrangement. Four or five other groups of two or three in each, were dispatched to their various posts, and the business of the day soon commenced in good earnest. It was fine sport, and the young villagers of Warren, in this case, found their labors attended with that alternate good and ill fortune, which makes such amusements more agreeable even than the continued current of success a hunt in the western forests to those who have tasted of the fun and know its pleasures we need say but little with the great woods all about and no sign of man's neighborhood except the cheerful voices of your companions with the wide solemnly wide stretching of unpeopled territory to a distance it would take the journey of months to compass with the blue sky overhead, 
clear and not murky from the smoke of a million chimneys, with that strange and exhilarating and pervading sense of freedom, which strikes into all your sense and body, as it were, from the illimitable and untrammeled, the boundless nature of everything about you. Is it not a right manly and glorious sport? There are no appearances of the artificial about such a hunt, no park walls, and no cultivated and regularly laid out grounds to be crossed. It is all nature, all wide, beautiful, and inspiriting business, which no systematic chasing of a poor deer within fences and by trained packs can equal. One week of such fine and wholesome recreation would do more good to our enervated city gentry than a hundred gymnasiums, or all the medicines of a drug shop. During the morning and the early half of the afternoon, the various groups of the party saw each other at intervals, and those who had been most successful threw out merry jibes against their less fortunate companions. The day advanced, and the sun wanted but a couple of hours to his setting. Mr. Thorne, and one or two others, who, being the elder and more experienced, had, by general consent, been called upon to act as leaders of the party, began to think of collecting their scattered forces and returning homeward. It was at this period that the following incident happened, casting a gloom over the occasion, and throwing the whole of the village when it became known, in a paroxysm of agitation and horror. Two of the hunters, young men who had come out with the rest of the party, had to pass, on their return to the general rendezvous, near the station assigned to Peter Brown and the Indian. The young men made themselves a rude raft, and were floating down the river toward their destination, for this was an easier and more agreeable method of traveling than breaking their way through the thicket of the forest. As they came off against the mouth of Oak Creek, they heard sounds of human voices in the wood, and loud and angry talk. They paused and listened. They soon distinguished the voices to be those of the blacksmith and arrow-tip. From where they were situated, the hunters could not distinctly see the quarrelers. But the latter were within a few rods, and their voices, and much of what they said, might easily be heard. Brown was plainly wrought up to a high pitch of passion, and swore most terribly. Not many moments elapsed before the two men upon the raft were convinced that the dispute had ended in a scuffle. Fearful that some more than ordinary harm might be the consequence, they seized their poles and rapidly pushed the raft to the shore. Upon landing there, to penetrate the wood and reach the place of the combatants, took them but a few moments. They started in alarm as they came in close view of the spot, 
no scuffling or angry words were there now brown the blacksmith lay upon the ground with a heavy gash on the side of his head an arrow tip stood leaning calmly and sullenly against a tree good god exclaimed one of the intruders he has murdered him they stepped quickly to brown's prostrate form and raised him up in a sitting posture but it was too late all sense was gone and they saw that what they could do to restore him would be of little avail horror struck at the terrible nature of the whole affair the impulse of both the men was first to fly the place and bring some of their companions then a very natural sentiment of indignation arose in their bosom toward the murderer who stood there with so much apathy they feared that if they left the spot he would escape chief said he who had first spoken you have done a damned action and must go with us to answer for it arrowtip made no sign of repugnance had he done so indeed the result might have been somewhat unfavorable to the others he was a strong and agile man and held in his grasp the gun which they recognized as belonging to brown once only as a remark was passed between them about the propriety of binding his arms the savage looked towards them with a face which caused them to desist from their intention arrowtip then as they signed him to follow walked after them he spoke not a word and offered nothing in the shape of remonstrance excuse or justification ere they left the ground one of the hunters took a blanket which he happened to have with him and threw it over the senseless body it was to be there but a few minutes when they would return and bear it to the village in company with the criminal whom they desired first to place in security end of chapter five